I'm going to talk about marriage. <laughs> no. See, um, <laughs> see <laughs> the, the thing is, I've said this a, a few times, uh, not behind the lectern, but um, we, when a talk is given, um, we read the Bible. So when you read the Bible, it's for all of us, isn't it? Including the person who's standing behind the lectern. <laughs> so, um, so it's for me as well, you know, because we all uh, need the word. And, um, and even though I've got a little bit of an understanding of what may be said before the talk, it's still for me as well. Uh, all of them are, all talks, because we read the Bible. Um, so um, I think I've given a couple of marriage talks in the past and I was reflecting on it when I was preparing this one. They were generally um, encouraging people to treat your spouse like a brother or sister in the Lord, you know, because uh, that's what they are. Your spouse is your brother or sister in the Lord. Um, often, you know, living with someone day in, day out, um, there can be times where it's difficult to um, with, with that relationship as a brother or sister in the Lord. Um, but today, I just thought I'd uh, bring some nuts and bolts, I guess, out of the scriptures, which are important um, to think on. And um, also, just a, a couple of examples, like these are worldly examples uh, that I've seen um, in, with marriage. And one is my um, paternal grandmother, um, from what, I, from what my dad tells me, because I never knew this, um, it was a really hard marriage. Um, my grandfather was an alcoholic. Um, from what my dad tells me, he used to come home drunk and he'd be yelling, like really yelling loud and really disruptive, waking the kids up and disturbing the household. And um, I don't know full details, of course, because there's a generation gap there. I'm only going by what, um, what I picked up and I'm sure there was... Uh, some other stuff that was unsavoury. I mean, they were dirt poor uh, because he gambled. And I mean, just as an example, I, I didn't know this until Pastor Chaz visited a while ago because he knew my grandfather, and um, and my grandfather was forbidden to go to many pubs in the south of uh, South Australia because of the fights he got into. So that and so this was a, such a horrible marriage, and apparently um, around the dinner table, my nana used to say uh, to the children that when the children grow up, I will divorce your father, right? But now, it's interesting to say that, like, so the reason I say that is um, she was determined to stay married for the children, right, instead of herself. And, but what happened was they never got divorced, ever. I remember, my memory was they were happily married, Something happened in him, he changed, and it was a wonderful marriage after that. But what the consequence of that, like my own parents, they had their issues as well, but they were determined to make it work, right? And I believe that was the thing that was ingrained from my grandmother, and then, of course, it was ingrained down to us kids as well. Um, so, like, trying to uh, preserve a marriage... Another one I heard when I was working for the Shire of Harvey, this boat pointed out a house and uh, 
And they said, yeah, similar situation. The husband was an alcoholic, often rock up, passed out on the doorstep. And for years that happened. And then all of a sudden he turned. And he adored his wife. And the, the marriage continued. Um, so these are worldly examples. Now, I, that, um, that they, like both wives, just wanted to preserve this marriage because they saw it as so important. It's a, it's a fabric of society. It's, they saw, they were worldly people, but they saw there was a value in marriage. We're not worldly people. We are saints. And we are generally uh, married to a brother or sister in the Lord. Uh, there's also guidance as well uh, for those that are married to someone who's not in the Lord um, to, uh, to, to be a great example. And so and we have the guidance of the scriptures to help us. These worldly people didn't have that guidance. And I was talking to uh, someone at work recently and it kind of st- struck me as he was explaining his difficulties. And, and nowadays people latch hold of what, what breaks up a marriage instead of what keeps a marriage together. Um, you know, focusing on those things that keep the marriage together. Um, and, uh, and especially in the Lord, when we have this manual. And it's amazing, you know, churning through the scriptures and you could read them a dozen times and then you read this scripture and think, wow, that applies to marriage. You had no idea it applied to marriage. There's so much in this that applies to marriage or can be applied to marriage. It's a marriage document between God and his church. And so um, it's, it's remarkable what comes out of the pages that uh, you think about that. So um, let's uh, go to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9 and uh, verse 1. Acts chapter 9 and verse 1. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell on the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. So I suppose on the surface it seems like an odd place to start when I'm talking about marriage. But um, Saul was doing something that he thought was right, and he did it with all his energy, and then Jesus pushes him down, like humbles him, and that's so important. I was told this uh, a while ago that um, humility is so important in a marriage, like pride doesn't even belong in a marriage. And uh, so he was humbled, and what he was told is, it's hard for thee to kick against the pricks, you know? And, and then from there, he goes, Lord, what do I do? And, uh, and so in the marriage context, you know, we might have in our mind that, hey, look, I know what's right. 
Uh, I know, I've seen this work. You know, I know it's right. But if it's contrary to uh, scriptural uh, advice, you're kicking against the pricks. You're like, oh, the Lord's trying to guide me, but I'm too proud. And um, Lord, what must I do? You know, and, uh, and, he, and he goes, look, arise, go, read the scriptures, uh, find out what you must, be, must do and uh, churn through it and, um, and have that humble attitude and not to kick against the pricks because that hurts you as well, okay? Because you're together in a marriage. If you're kicking against the pricks, you're sure you're right, uh, you're hurting yourself also, uh, not just the other person. Because you're together. John chapter 15. John chapter 15 and verse 9. John chapter 15 and verse 9. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if you do whatsoever I command you. And down in 17, these things I command you, that you love one another. That's a command. And it says in the previous chapter as well, so if you love me, you keep my commandments. And, and this is an aspect as well is, you know, we'll... There's guidance and there's principles in the scriptures that can or may be difficult to put into practice in a marriage scenario, but what you do is you step above that and out of obedience to God, I'll do it. Um, And so that is putting the Lord first. Uh, Okay, it's your commandment, Lord. I love you, Lord. And because I love you, I will follow these commandments. Uh, through a love for God, and, uh, and, and that's important, putting him number one, the Lord first before your spouse. Um, and uh, because you love the Lord, you'll follow his commandments. Genesis chapter 2. Have to go to Genesis when we're talking about marriage, where it all started. There's principles here uh, that flow on. That apply. Uh, So Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18. Genesis 2 and verse 18. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I'll make him a helpmeet for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them, and whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle and all the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field, but for Adam there was not found a helpmeet for him. 
So God could see that um, this man uh, needed some help. Okay? That's what husbands need to remember. <laughs> we need help. <laughs> we need it. And, uh, and God saw that. And so what he did, he thought, okay, this bloke, he just needs some pets. You know, a pet cat, pet dog, um, or whatever. He just needs some pets. And, um, and so he gave him some pets. But what's it say here? There was not found a helpmeet for him. So the, help, the, the pets weren't good enough. They didn't meet the needs of the man. Verse 21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And this was his helpmate. Okay? And so... The Lord has specifically created wives for their husbands because husbands needed that help. The Lord could see he needed that help. And, uh, and there's another aspect to that as well, like wives to realise that, hey, their existence is because of their husbands, uh, which is, um, and so that you glean from that. But, uh, but it's also that husbands really need their wives. You know, uh, you need them. The Lord said that you need it, need that help, and to have an appreciation for that as well. Over to chapter 3 and verse 16. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 16. This is after um, they sinned against the Lord. Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. My goodness, what a burden to carry. Now why did the Lord um, do this? Why? To humble the wife, to realise that she needs God's help. You know, my goodness. I mean, number one, we understand the sorrow in conception and the sorrow in um, bearing children. You know, oh dear, you know, all that thing. You rely on the Lord to help, and the Lord does help. But then there's this other aspect. He has made uh, the wife to have a desire to their husbands, and he will rule over thee. Whoa! (laughs) Strong language. Um, And... You know, and that, that can create fear in a person as well. Oh, but this is another person who has a track record of this and that and whatever, and, and it can create a fear. But, there's, but the Lord wants the wife to trust in the Lord and seek the Lord, rely on the Lord, put the Lord first, watch the Lord perform miracles um, and, uh, and create good things because he wants our joy to be full. Uh, verse 17. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken... 
for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. What a burden. It's a similar, similar um, curse, I guess, um, to humble the husband. To humble the husband, my goodness, he is serious. Whatever I do, uh, there's weeds and it creates more work. I have a family to uh, feed. I have a family to provide for. Ah, it's too big. But you put the Lord first. That's what the whole point is here, to humble and realise, hey, if we put the Lord first, the Lord will bless us. Okay? And uh, it's what the Lord wants us to learn from this. And, uh, and I believe when you read through this passage, I believe Adam let his wife down. Adam didn't fully explain to his wife what she had to do. Uh, there's another aspect. She may well have just gone ahead and done it herself. But uh, there's those aspects in that relationship. The Lord's trying to bring us together to put the Lord first through humility. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1. Would to God you could bear with me a little while in my folly, and indeed bear with me, for I am jealous over you. With godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. So Paul here is writing to the church um, and um, has this fear that God's uh, wife could be beguiled by the serpent as Eve was and, uh, and their minds being corrupted. So this here, the reason I chose this, I mean, it's, it flows on directly from Genesis chapter 3, uh, that it's a type that can happen to the church. But also here it says for all of us to remember that our minds should uh, remain simple, simple in Christ. Oh, that's what God asked me to do. Oh, okay, I'll do that. Uh, because I love God, I'll follow his commandments. And, um, and there's, you know, spending a life with someone, there's, there's concerns we all carry. Like, oh, uh, I see that and I see that. Ugh, okay, I'm going to be, these, you know, your mind works further. But the Lord says, trust in him and keep it simple. Um, and, uh, and not be uh, corrupted from the simplicity that is in, in Christ. 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 8. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 8. I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broidered hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but 
which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection, but I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. And the reason this is the case, for Adam was first formed, and then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. We'll stop there. So it starts out that everyone should be uh, active, lifting up holy hands, active in the things of the Lord, without wrath and doubting. You know, wrath, um, yeah, can lead to things. It can make people afraid. It can, you know, uh, it says, be angry and sin not. It says that elsewhere. So being angry can lead to a sin, and, uh, and that can become the problem instead of what the reaction was, and, uh, but also there's an explanation here, a proper explanation as to, uh, to why the wife is not to usurp authority over the husband um, because of the example of Adam and Eve, and, and that applies today um, and now. And, and these scriptures we read... Um, they don't really uh, fit in with modern marriage uh, model. Um, but look at the divorce rate in modern marriages. Um, I think I'd rather have an ancient marriage, not a modern one. Um, and this is written down nearly 2,000 years ago. Uh, it's inspired by God. And this is a model that God created that works. Uh, the modern ideals of marriage obviously aren't working. Um, nearly 50% divorce rate. And so uh, we look back at the scriptures and, uh, and this principle, uh, yes, there is, um, you know, there's, like I said, there's that when it says that a wife is not to usurp authority over the man. I mean, that's strong words. And um, there can be a concern that, oh, what if the husband is not good? You know, and uh, and yes, that's a concern. But then there's the trust in the Lord, like the Lord God uh, is number one. Like if you start elevating your husband into God position of God, uh, it's not going to work. God goes above that, uh, and uh, and you love the Lord uh, by following His commandments. Um, Ephesians chapter five. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 19. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 19. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. That's what the Lord's encouraging us all to do, regardless of what's going on. You know, singing psalms, you know, rejoicing in the Lord, making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. All things, giving thanks always. And then verse 21, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of the Lord, you know, which, which comes from... Genesis chapter 3, in the fear of the Lord, I need your help, Lord. Now, this verse 21, we will read on, but let's 
this verse 21 means submitting yourselves one to another. So in a marriage context, husbands, submit to your wives. Right, one to another. So remember, husbands, submit to your wives. There will be instances like that. Like she needs this. And then, of course, wives submitting to the husbands, which we'll read on. So verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord in the same way. For the husband, and this is why, again, for, the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. So there's a great example there. How does the Lord expect a church to act toward Jesus? How does the Lord expect a wife to act toward her husband? And he is the saviour of the body, okay? So you've got here Christ is the head, the body is the church. The husband is the head, the body is the wife. And the head is the saviour of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. In everything. There's no footnotes there. But what if, um, what if my husband always makes bad decisions? What if he only thinks of himself? What if he's not smart or clumsy? What if he doesn't, or you think he doesn't love me? It doesn't stop a wife's obligation to following God's commandments in being subject to the husbands in everything. There's no footnote to that. It's everything. And so, yes, okay, let's say uh, he, he, you don't think he loves you anymore. He always makes bad decisions. The Lord's still saying, look, put God first before your husband. And then it goes on, verse 25, husbands, love your wives. That's a commandment. Oh, but what if she doesn't submit to me? Oh, what if um, she's always arguing? Oh, what if this and what if that? No! God says it's a commandment that husbands must love your wives. So put God first and love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it or laid his life down. Okay? Jesus Christ, as an example, laid his life down for the church as a husband should also. This is how there is this submitting one to another. It's not one-sided. You both submit to each other. Um, Verse 26, and he did that, Jesus Christ did that, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. Okay? I mean, we have our own bodies. We've got a head as well, and a head makes decisions, uh, hoping not to hurt the body, you know, and to nourish the body. It's the same thing, and we'll read a scripture like that later. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, oh, here we go, (laughs) but nourisheth it and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, 
and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery. Okay, it's interesting how it's got there. This is a great mystery. Okay, it's something that you learn and you discover more things about the wonders of God's commandments and how they're applied. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence or respects her husband. Respect. So important, especially in a public scene. You respect your husband. Uh, you, you lift him up, encourage him. Um, so great advice there in that analogy of the head and the body. Um, I was thinking about that. Like In the head is the brain, right? Like I said, thinks and makes decisions uh, for the body to move and act and whatever and those things, but looks after the body. I mean, don't purposely go along to harm your body. But also what's in the, in the body is a heart, okay? A heart. And there's that very strong relationship between the brain and the heart. And the heart in a spiritual sense is like, well, that's the body, that's the wife, the church. And that heart, and so you work together there, caring for each other. And it's so important. That's how you become one body, one complete body with the brain and the heart, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1. Now concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, To avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own own husband. Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, or affection, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. The wife hath not power over her own body, but the husband does. Excuse me. And likewise, also the husband has not power over his own body, but the wife does. Defraud ye not one the other, except it be with consent for a time, that ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer, and come together again, that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. But I speak this by permission, and not of commandment. For I would that all men were even as I myself. But every man hath his his proper gift of God, one after this manner, and another after that. I say therefore to the unmarried and widows, it is good for them that they abide even as I. But if they cannot contain, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. So in this passage, Paul's making it obvious. You're actually better off not married. That's what it's saying. There's no shame at all in, uh, in remaining unmarried, and you're actually better off. There's another scripture that says... Um, uh, You'll have trouble in the flesh, but I spare you. You're better off single. And that's what it says there. Uh, so there's, if, if you don't want to get married or for whatever reason you don't want to get married, you're actually better off. You can serve the Lord better. You're free. There's all sorts of things. We can see it in practical examples. But also I was thinking about this. like, But 
Look, look at God. God desired a wife. Okay? God himself desired a wife. That's why he uh, wanted a close relationship with the people. That's why he created the church. He wanted a wife, a faithful wife. And, uh, and that's the type. Um, and also it says here, it refers to... Um, I can't remember where it was. Um, oh, yeah, there you go. Verse 2, it says, Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife. So fornication or adultery, that's sex outside marriage, which is totally abominable before the Lord. Totally abominable. Now, that same act is absolutely beautiful in marriage. Intimacy is a beautiful thing in marriage. And to extend to God and the church, God wants an intimate relationship with his church. So intimacy is so important in a marriage. Now, it does say here that in verse 5 it says, defraud ye not uh, one the other, so, or deprive. Deprive intimacy. So um, the Lord's saying, look, he's created marriage so that intimacy can be a beautiful thing as opposed to fornication and adultery. And so within a marriage, don't take it away. That intimacy belongs in that marriage. So he's saying here, don't deprive your marriage of intimacy, except it's by consent. So you both agree. Now, what it says, though, is if you both agree, it says for a time. There's a time limit that that intimacy uh, has... There's no intimacy in that marriage. And there's a plethora of reasons why intimacy cannot happen in a marriage, but it's for a time. And during that time, what's it say? It says, give yourselves to fasting and prayer. Realising that this marriage was created for intimacy, and that's where it belongs, and for whatever reason, it can't happen, so let's pray and fast so that we can see an end to this. And that's what the Lord's saying. Uh, and it says an, a, a very strong reason there, so that we come together again, that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. So you don't look elsewhere, basically, that's what it says. And so we've got this pattern here, and this also is God's commandment. Seek it with fasting and with prayer. Um, Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. Timothy Titus, chapter 2 and verse 1. Titus chapter 2 and verse 1. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave or reverent, temperate, uh, they don't lose their temper, sound in faith, in charity and in patience. The aged women likewise, that they be in behaviour as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. So great examples. That they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children. And I've said this a while ago, that, um, that love 
Um, it says here that the, the older women are to teach the younger women to love their husbands. So how do you read into that? I mean, people get married because of love, right? Whoa, yes, we're in love. It's great. I mean, the feelings of love are awesome. We love it. It's fantastic. But then it must be that the love you feel uh, when you're keeping company or before you're married, like it, it's impractical. There's practical stuff that comes along with marriage and, uh, and you start... Uh, seeing these things that you sp- in your spouse that you didn't really see and uh, you also can't see everything as well of what they're doing behind the scenes and, and so there's a different love that needs to kick in. You need to learn to love. You know, uh, this is what it's saying here. Uh, wives are to learn to love their husbands, to appreciate, to respect, uh, to, to realise that... Um, that yes, I have to have reverence for my husband as the church does Christ. There's a learning there. It's no longer that uh, gooey love, I suppose, for want of a better word, sorry, at the start. But that gooey love is awesome. So bring on the gooey love. Don't get me wrong there. Such a wonderful uh, uh, feeling that we have. But that practical stuff day in, day out, month in, month out, year after year. To maintain a love and a respect for the husband, you need to learn that. And it goes on in, uh, in verse 5, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. It's a major part of our testimony, a major part of our testimony on the way we behave toward our spouse that the word of God be not blasphemed. Um, Young men, likewise, exhort to be sober-minded, in all things showing thyself a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that testimony, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. That wonderful testimony there. Um, And in that, I want to draw on, it says uh, in verse 5, to be keepers at home. So we talk about modern marriage. And look, I understand. It's like a reaction to... uh, um, a reaction to worldly perception of a housewife, you know, or a housekeeper. It's like, oh, they're only a housekeeper. You know, like, and, th- and so there's been a reaction to that, uh, that view nowadays. But here it says that the wife is to be the keeper at home. The wife is to be the housekeeper. And I was telling Ali this recently. Like, as you know, I work in the construction game with <laughs> blokes, you know, blokey, blokey, blokes. And um, I was out on site um, and there was this discussion there were four men having this discussion and one was a young fellow only in his 20s and they were saying and I kind of got caught up in it as well yeah I wouldn't mind being a house husband you know like it's like that like kind of flipping it it's like there's no disgrace in being a housekeeper and these men would say yeah I could be a house husband yeah my wife can go off and have her career and I'll look after the house and I was kind of drawn in it you know it kind of made sense like yeah that that is good and then I was telling Ali, like, okay, or I was driving back and I came home and I thought, no, the Bible says otherwise. 
The Bible says the wife is to be the housekeeper. So no matter what we think in our heads, it's not going to work the other way around. The wife is to be the housekeeper. And whatever form that is, it's an individual thing. It's as varied as the amount of wives there are on the planet. And so the important thing is the wife needs to keep the house. But then there's the other side. Just think, the husband has to let the wife keep the house how she uh, wants to keep it. So there's that submission to the wife. The husband submits to the wife on how she wants to keep the house because that's her role. It's a commandment of the Lord that she needs to learn how to keep the house. Now, because in a modern context, this is, uh, has funny views, I wanted to bring out another couple of scriptures to back it up. It's not just one isolated scripture. 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5. And guaranteed, your wife will keep the house differently to how you would. <laughs> guaranteed. But... She's the one who has authority on how to keep the house. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 14. I will therefore that the younger women marry, bear children, guide the house. Give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. Guide or manage. Okay, so that's the second scripture. The third one we won't go to, but it's in Psalm Chapter 113 and verse 9, and it says, He, the Lord, maketh the barren woman to keep house. It's actually a wonderful blessing bestowed upon a woman to have the opportunity to keep a house or manage a house. It's a glorious thing. It's just, unfortunately, the worldly perception of it is just, uh, it's, it's very unfortunate in that way. In the eyes of the Lord, it's a beautiful thing. And uh, let it remain a beautiful thing. Colossians chapter 3. So in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let a fact be established. There it is. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 14. Colossians 3 verse 14. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. Love belongs in a marriage. It's the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. So the reason I read those previous verses from verse 14, it's like this this wisdom, the teaching and admonishing one another, there's the Psalms and the spiritual songs again, and uh, whatever you do, do it in word or deed. Doing it because you're following God's commandments, putting God first. 
and you see results. You need patience in that, of course. Uh, but then it ends, husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. That's a commandment. Husbands, you are commanded not to be bitter against your wife. Now, bitter, that's a strong word. But just think of other words that might fit. Be not annoyed with your wife. Okay? If you start thinking you're annoyed with your wife, God says no. Commanding no. That's a fleshly thing. Uh, Resentful. No. The Lord wants us to be joyous and happy with things. He gave you a helpmeet. Don't be resentful for what God's given you. You know, so be not bitter against your wife. It's a commandment of the Lord. And if you're putting God first, you're following that commandment regardless of what your wife is or isn't doing. Even if she's not following the scriptures, you do your best to follow the scriptures yourself. And that's the key in a marriage. Your spouse is not following scriptural principles. You still are determined to follow scriptural principles because you're putting God first. If you love me, you keep my commandments. Um, over to Proverbs. Read a couple of Proverbs, which are great words to, to prattle around in your head when uh, feelings or reactions uh, might be going on in your life. Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 1. Proverbs chapter 15. And verse 1, a soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. Okay? So, um, I mean, I know what it's like. <laughs> I've felt anger come from my toes and just slowly build up and <laughs> I can feel the heat. And if you can somehow push that heat down and say, whoop, no, wait a minute. The Bible says a soft answer turneth away wrath. A soft answer turneth away wrath. But grievous words stir up anger. Another one, Proverbs 26. Proverbs chapter 26. This is the penultimate scripture. Verse 21. Proverbs 26 and verse 21. As coals are to burning coals and wood to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. So there's things going on, there's a fire burning. You don't put that fire out by adding more wood to the fire. So there's uh, strife going on and you don't uh, quench that strife by being contentious. It's like putting wood on a fire. You put the fire out with water. You put that strife out with gentle words. That's how you put it out and, uh, and work it out from there. Um, great scripture to finish on, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And I do love this, I've mentioned it before, because you can check your actions, you can check uh, what you do, what you say, as per these, these things. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, to finish up on, we're talking about marriage, which is a bond of love. You learn to love your spouse, and love belongs in a marriage. And here... We have in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 4, charity suffers long. So what if you've said something or you've done something, just think 
Am I being patient with that? And he's kind. Am I being kind when I said or did that? Or charity envies not. Charity vaunteth not itself, puffing yourself up. That's pride. Like, I know better. Charity's not like that. Charity is humble toward uh, your spouse. It's not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly or being rude. Seeks not her own. Is not easily provoked. So what you said or you did, was that easily provoked? Well, you're not showing that you love. Thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity. You're not happy when you see your spouse um, fumbling about. That's not love. You want to see the best in your spouse. But rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. See, hope, hope there, right? In a marriage situation, you have a spouse, you hope all things. You hope for a bigger thing, a better thing. That's love. Seeking the Lord, putting God first, that is love, hopes all things, endures all things. Like the examples I gave at the start of the talk with my own grandmother and this, uh, this lady in Harvey, endures all things. Charity never fails, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. So love, uh, especially Love between God and man, but even love between a husband and a wife endures all things and never fails. Even such, like prophecies will fail and tongues will fail, but love will endure. That's the power of love, particularly between, like I said, between God and man, but it's the power of love as well between a husband and a wife. Okay, thank you.